We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Finishing up our FFPC main event draft from the 102 and talking through all the biggest decisions we had as we recap the draft board at the end. That's what we're going to do today on Stealing Bananas. I'm Ben Gretsch. You can find my newsletter, bengretsch.substack.com. With me, as always, is Sean Siegel. You can find all of his great work over at Rotoviz. And Sean, we're jumping back into this in the 12th round. We started from the 102. For anyone who hasn't heard the first part, we started Jamar Chase, Devonta Smith, and then we pivoted from receiver Jonathan Taylor, Travis Etienne, Kyle Pitts, J.K. Dobbins, four straight r- picks in the, the RB dead zone rounds where we take three running backs, no receivers. But from there on, we talked at the end of part one of this series about why we then need to needed to address the upside wide receiver profiles in our build. Didn't necessarily fall perfectly to us, but we do have an intriguing five in a row since that point of our draft. It was Jahan Dotson. And then at the 8-9, Quentin Johnson and Elijah Moore. And at the 10-11, reaches. But guys we knew we weren't going to come back were Shee Rice and Marvin Mims, two of our favorite rookies that have had great August. Double-digit rookies that have had great August, certainly, that have, have risen into a range where we're willing to take them here. We have some fallers that don't quite make it to us. In the 8th, JSN goes two picks ahead of us. In the 10th, Rashad Bateman goes two picks ahead of us. Sean, we are on deck now here in the 12th. We have seven receivers. We've come back and, and built out some receiver depth, three running backs, a tight end. The only team to have not taken a quarterback, as you noted, at the end of part one. And we're probably not going to do that at this turn, are we? I Probably not, but Anthony Richardson is still there. I mean, I would feel yeah. really silly if I spend the whole offseason just mentioning that there are some passing concerns. <laughs> and then we take him and use him to win the main event. That would seem... A little sketchy but i mean he, he does become a pretty interesting pick at this price then we talked about not having great selections at the last turn and yet we love the guys we actually did take and rasheed rice and marvin Mims. i have three guys i really want here i think it would be interesting to make the move on richardson i really want to stash jameson williams you're at 12 11 i mean come on and then kendra miller i think is a really exciting running back pick what are you seeing here as as we look at it that's, that's my top players at every position <laughs> i have i have kendra miller as the top I've been scared off on Jamison Williams and moved him way down my ranks, but he's my top receiver. Um, I actually do have Geno Smith ahead of Anthony Richardson. Geno Smith's still here on the board. The guy at the turn has taken Daniel Jones on the last one. Maybe we can kick quarterback around. That's the one we're okay waiting on. I would be interested in Richardson, but Kendra Miller or Jamison, who do you prefer for this bill? Let's take Jamison Williams. One of the things that does hurt you with that is that, I mean, you're burning that roster spot. It makes it a little bit more difficult to churn, but I don't know. I I still see immense upside for him. I think that he's overly punished by the things that he's done wrong, which are meaningful, right? But if he hadn't done those things, I think it would make sense to stash him in the seventh. <laughs> so you're getting a five-round discount from that. We do get Anthony Richardson at the turn. In some ways, it's a relief because we really yeah. did want to you know, play the, the late QB. I actually have Jared Goff as a priority target in main events with both the weapons that he's going to have and this ability to actually play him. I mean, if he goes, I could see this chiefs lions game in the forties, in which case you would want to have Jared Goff and play him after you knew that result. Uh, so I'm okay. Letting the quarterbacks fall through Adam Thielen, the other pick that one 
you know, not one that we would have made, but it's possible that he will be the one there in Carolina. Kenry comes back to us. It seems like this is pretty clear cut. Yep. Yeah, he's the the top running back on my board at this point. He falls because of that injury, but gets back on the field and plays in preseason week two and looks good. Makes a diving catch on a wheel route, shows some real burst and scoring on a seven-yard touchdown run on the next play. The only other running back on the board still left in that that tier that that Kendry Miller is the top available for me is Jeff Wilson, who you also do have in the queue and is an interesting early season play, certainly. But Kendry, Kendry's a, a really nice play. I think you're playing into uncertainty a lot here, but you're you know that that um, Alvin Kamara is going to be suspended for three games. We're going to get a look if he is better than Jamal Williams in that stretch. We know that we have a handcuff we want to hold on to when Kamara comes back. They're going to use Kamara when he comes back. But then from that point forward, yes, both Jamal Williams and Kamara are there, but Kendra Miller is the obvious anti-fragile bet where, I mean, you have these two older backs that might not actually have the juice anymore. Jamal Williams especially really relying on touchdowns last year, didn't really you know perform particularly well in any of the advanced metrics or anything. He just had 45 rush attempts inside the 10-yard line. No other running back had more than 29. I mean, just a massive number of green zone volume. Uh, and that's why he scored all these TDs, and that's why you know he's relevant, frankly, as far as I'm concerned. That could carry over. They could still use him in short yardage. There are elements there, sure. Like when Kamara comes back, they could use Kamara more on the passing downs and use Jamal Williams as sort of their you know Mark Ingram, what have you, and then Miller's kind of boxed out. But with Kamara suspended, Miller should get an opportunity in these first three weeks to show that he's a much better talent than Jamal Williams. And if he can do that, then you're like, okay, this is a guy we want to hang on to if Kamara – breaks down Kendra is going to be the long-term you know again anti-fragile bet where the things are going to break towards him getting the volume and the usage he has a really interesting profile love getting him in the 13th round now where that preseason injury is what kind of pushed him down to this range in the first place and yet again he got back on the field after it he doesn't seem to be in real you know uh real distress there and, and still multiple weeks ahead of week one was able to play so he should play early in the year like you said, Richardson does go with a turn. I kind of misspoke on that saying, you know, he had, oh, the guy just took Daniel Jones in the last round. I mean, probably that made him more likely to take Anthony Richardson. He had already shown a propensity to take a mobile quarterback and had waited at the QB position. A lot of guys like to then hit it twice in this range. So not a surprise that he snapped up Anthony Richardson. But like you said, I mean, I, I agree with you that he would have been a really intriguing pick there and we could have added him at the same time. I don't really feel like we missed. I don't know. I mean, maybe that's going to be something we look back on and say, hey, we stashed Jamison Williams. He never really did anything for us. And we could have had some real QB upside there. And then, you know, still had some stability later with a a, a later round quarterback to pair with him. Maybe that is something we'll look back on. But I like, I mean, I like the idea of continuing to stack our, our upside wide receiver bets in that range. And then now Kent, Kendra, as we added, gives us another running back. Sean, with the eight receivers at this point, and then getting Kendra as our running back four, I, you know, from a sort of a structural perspective, feel like we can just be done at running back. We only have five more non-kicker and defense picks. Geno Smith goes off the board to the auto drafter who now for five hasn't been auto drafting the whole time, but for five straight rounds has been auto drafting, which is in some ways pretty annoying at this point because it's stopping anyone from sliding too far. <laughs> you know, you can't get these really big discounts in the double digit rounds that sometimes are there as people are trying to address things um, in the roster, but five more picks that are not kickers and D's. You've already been on the record as saying you'd like to take four quarterbacks in some of these builds. Is that something that you're seeing for this draft? It, it seems like a possibility. One of the other names that is at least vaguely interesting with Marvin Mims on our roster is, I mean, Russell Wilson has looked a little bit more dynamic. That's an interesting one, too, because I, I mentioned that we took Desmond Ritter over Kyler Murray in the draft that I did with Colin. We also did over Russell Wilson, and I think that Russell Wilson either went undrafted or was picked late in the 20th. And so, I mean, he's somebody, just another example of a guy who potentially will really fall. And so if you want to put some of those names together there, when you look at specifically our team in this draft and then think through some of the options, are there names that are starting to rise to the top? In the quarterback group? Um, yeah. 
Well, I mean, at, at this point, the top quarterback on my board is Aaron Rodgers. And I I mean, it's it's not really that exciting when you don't have Garrett Wilson. Okay, Rodgers goes. We don't have to talk about that. Um, it does it does leave me with then Jared Goff as my next best. The way that I have it ranked then is I have Pickett and Howell ahead of Russell Wilson and ahead of Matthew Stafford and ahead of any of these other boring guys because I'm really getting aggressive on the way that I would play Pickett and Howell. And I, I mean, but I don't mind. I mean, from a structural perspective at this point, we don't really need a lot of these late picks. We've already hit a ton of receivers. We have nine and we're going to stash Jameson Williams. And at a certain point, you're just roster clogging. I don't think we want to really take any more receivers. Although like a guy like Jonathan Mingo is still out there. And it is intriguing to me to potentially add to our bill running back as well. There's still some, some interesting names. There's a few names floating around that are on your zero RB countdown list but I don't know that we really need a fifth on this build. I would like to get a tight end too, although we're it's getting hit hard. Conklin, Irv Smith, Jake Ferguson, the last few to go. Michael Mayer is still out there, who's one that I know you really like. Hunter Henry, also still out there, one that I have been in on for most of the offseason. Trey McBride, another guy that I know you like floating out there. But the really fun ones, the Luke Musgraves, the guys that have had these big Augusts have all gone. And so, yeah, I mean, I think we're in the quarterback range. I like the idea of golf. I love the idea of having that Thursday night look and then also just, you know, potentially him being a strong quarterback play. We have Jameson Williams now as well. I mean, that could be a big volume play that eventually works out. Jonathan Mingo does go. I don't think I would be in on Russ with the other ways we can play it, but you could talk me into it. Do you think he's one that's like a big upside play where we get a lot of information early and maybe we're like, oh man, he actually is back to being Ross by week three? I mean, I guess that's that's intriguing. Yeah, I think that he is someone where we would potentially get a lot of information. And his rushing, I think, looked a little bit more interesting in the preseason where there were some plays where instead of dragging them out and throwing the ball away or dragging them out and getting sacked. He actually took off and got down the field. You're like, oh, I mean, he still looks like someone who could run a little bit. So that part of it I think is interesting. We did get Goff to come back here at the 14-11. We probably don't even need to necessarily take him since our, the next drafter has two QBs, but you never know for sure what people will do. If there's another pick that you think we need to make, we could go that direction first. Or we could just go ahead and lock Goff in. And then, I mean, there are multiple guys for the 1502. Yeah, let's just go ahead and take Goff. I've seen some people do some weird 3QB stuff. <clears throat> I think the other way I would go here is tight end. Or or potentially go QB, QB at this turn. But to get a tight end two behind Pitts would be interesting before those are all gone, since a lot have gone in these last few rounds. But I mean... That doesn't mean I, we don't have to take a second tight end is the other thing. We could just completely – we could take another running back instead of – I mean, this is a room where the, the tight end twos have all gone pretty expensively, so maybe it doesn't make sense. I mean, do you want to go golf Russ and then – No, let's uh, – let's. I mean, I think we want to keep open the possibility of those quarterbacks that you've talked about that I do like better. So I think this pick for me is either Chuba, who is really the last, I think, interesting running back until you get kind of into that Sean Tucker range – and maybe you just prefer Tucker. So I think that Mayer or McBride here is pretty interesting. Probably Mayer, and then you can say McBride. Hunter Henry has the same buy as Kyle Pitts. So if we got stuck with two, then you're going to have to make some moves later. That's not a huge deal when you have the uh, the waiver wire, but it maybe is a small consideration in terms of how we would play tight end. Yeah, Chuba's a good call. Let's do Chuba. We can take another name off, uh, off the 0RB. Countdown, Sean. And I, and I agree with you. He was the last for me. Ty Chandler is gone in this tier that I'm in. In my rankings, Amir White is gone. Devin Singletary is gone, who I have behind Chuba, but in the same tier. The only name in this tier for Chuba, which is sort of the last draftable tier probably other than pure Flyers, I start the next tier with Kyron Williams and Rico Dowdle. So we're definitely into the Flyer scratch-off range at that point. The only other name I had on there was Jerome Ford, but that's because we were actually recording this the morning of the Pierre Strong trade, which Sean would be fun to, to talk a little bit about. I think Pierre Strong becomes kind of interesting, and I'm kind of excited to, to think about him as a, a play now that he's over 
in Cleveland. Jerome Ford's still a guy that the Browns like, but I think it's certainly a hit on him, and, and his health isn't 100% there, that they now have another talented backup in Cleveland. Not a completely insignificant trade. Not the most significant trade in the world either, but not a completely insignificant one, I think, in terms of these cut-down day deals where, you know, obviously the Patriots are moving him because they had a log jam at running back. Yeah, the Patriots have done some weird stuff roster construction-wise. They really needed to take JSN in the draft and did not do that. They really needed to not sign Ezekiel Elliott, and they did do that. They moved Pierre Strong, who, I mean, if they had given him a bunch of touches, they probably would have found out that he is at the very least a very dynamic and interesting backup. So, I mean, those elements frustrating. I think if you are a Patriots fan, the it's, I don't think it's insignificant even what it means for Ramondre Stevenson, because I think that now he is very locked in to catching a bunch of passes this year. So I really like that trade for him, even though all it does is maybe, improve your confidence level in that portion a tiny bit you go back over to jerome ford who did get auto picked in the the late 15th here and that's a situation where you see the snap reactions to the trade some people say pierre strong the new rb2 in cleveland some say the new rb3 probably rb3 in terms of the way the browns are looking at it but what it does is definitely knock down jerome ford as you mentioned right and then the other thing is that i think now there are two ways for them to fill in those touches as opposed to giving them to Nick Chubb and having him have this Derrick Henry type of season. You and I have discussed the fact that Chubb's price is a little rich considering how he's been used for his entire career, even going back to college. I don't think it's, it's certainly very much within the range of possibility that the realm of possibility that you and I are wrong about that. I mean, he's just so good that if a team leaned into him for a stretch, You'd be like, yeah, I mean, Nick Chubb is good. So I understand why people are making that move, but I do think it, it knocks him a tiny bit because the longer that Jerome Ford was not available and they don't really have other backs, I mean, you could see Nick Chubb go out that first five weeks and bury people, you know, bury the other teams in your league. And so, you know, perhaps that is a move that does matter there. Hunter Henry auto-picked. So again, that part is unfortunate. Kenny Pickett <laughs> and Russell Wilson did go. Well, I'm disappointed to see Pickett go. He's one that I, I did think would potentially come back to us in the 16th. But like you say, I mean, he has played really, really well in the preseason. And it's, I mean, it's disappointing. And I, I mentioned that I've seen Pickett go undrafted. Would have loved to have him in this build. But maybe a minor consolation that in this build we do have Jahan Dotson. Maybe it's a little bit more of a Sam Howell build, Sean. <laughs> it is. It is. So we've got to we've got to cross our fingers through a couple more picks. It would be a surprise if Sam Hell went in these two, but not impossible. I think the best outcome for us here would be Sam Howell and then Michael Mayer. That sounds incredible. I was also going to float if you wanted to stash Kyler on this build. That well, actually, I don't know if I like that with the Jamison Williams stash. We don't want to clog up too much, right? Yeah, I think that that's probably the case. We want to be, we want to have a little bit of flexibility to make some early right. season free agent moves. And especially, I mean, Kendra, we're going to get information on, but we're probably not going to want to cut. Chuba's a stash as well. Our running back room is not like really any scratch offs or cuttable players. It's guys that we want to hold. We don't really have anyone so far that we've drafted that are we're going to like feel okay cutting. I don't think. But yeah, we are back up on the clock. The guy behind us does have the the Daniel Jones Anthony Richardson combo. Also has two tight ends earlier in Fryermuth and Kincaid. Who do you think is more likely to swing around there? I mean, I think that Howell is more likely to come through, but also the player we'd be a lot more devastated if we lost. And so it probably doesn't make sense to risk it. I mean, likely is the most expensive tight end by ADP. I guess I would expect a good drafter to take Michael Mayer over him, <laughs> but I'm probably leaning to get Howell with Dotson here. And if we miss on the tight end, yeah, it's okay. I mean, let's do that. So we take Howell. We have Goff Howell now. It is great. It's great that, uh, you know, with Goff, we might hopefully bank a really nice Thursday night score in a way that we can then just put him in for week one and get a free look at Sam Howell and then go into week two with, you know, hopefully two really good quarterbacks scores and, and excited about both. But, 
getting that Thursday night look, if that doesn't pan out, then we can go to Howell potentially or another quarterback if we have three by the end of this draft. Mayor does not go on the turn. We are back up. I'm right with you. I think it's a great spot for us to get our tight end two here. And Mayor is very clearly the top option available. Trey McBride. And then you're down to like Durham Smythe in my rankings are the other options. Dawson Knox, I guess, would have been an option. But he has one, Sean, as we talk through the offseason a little more. I I had a little more interest in him. I soured on it because, I mean, he just never was really that great. I think he's an interesting basketball play. He's still, I think, going to play more than people realize with the Kincaid edition. I think they're going to play together. But um, in managed, I just don't even know when I would ever want to start Knox. There's obviously clear paths for a Michael Mayer if he's breaking out and getting to, you know, a certain route threshold. Because Knox has gotten to those route thresholds and, and doesn't earn tons of volume at, at those thresholds even still. So, yeah, that's why he's not really an intriguing play for me in seasonal. Derek Carr goes off the board right after us. Matthew Stafford still floating around. Bryce Young, Jordan Love. We have six defenses who have been selected with teams looking to get those defenses that are both good overall and have weak week one matchups you can kind of understand that since we're into the range where i mean just realistically these guys are probably not going to score a ton of points and you look at chuba and you say you know if you replace him with a defense that really gives you an advantage you know maybe you would like to do that but ben i'm i'm pretty excited these defenses are going because it does give us a chance to stash the people we want Yeah, that is helpful. A couple kickers have gone as well. What are you thinking to finish this build? Right now, as we head back towards the 17-18 turn, we're still 13 picks away. We have three picks left. A kicker and a D are in our future, as well as one more pick. At quarterback, we have Goff and Sam Howell. At running back, we have Jonathan Taylor, Travis Etienne, and J.K. Dobbins as our three high-level plays, and then Kendra Miller and Chuba Hubbard as our later-round plays. At receiver, nine guys, eight guys. I need to learn how to count. Jamar, Jamar Chase, Devontae Smith, Jahan Dotson, Quentin Johnston, Elijah Moore, Rasheed Rice, Marvin Mims, Jamison Williams. Don't really need to add anything there. Tight end, we now get to two with Kyle Pitts and Michael Mayer. I feel like you can kind of add anywhere at this point, except for receiver. I don't really feel the need for it. We could take another running back. We could take a third tight end. I think my preference is to go with a third quarterback if we can get there. And especially you had some positive things to say about Ritter earlier in this draft. We have Kyle Pitts stacked up there. It'd be kind of fun to get both Howell and Ritter kind of see how they do in week one, especially if we get that playable score from Jared Goff, as we were talking about on Thursday. We get to make that decision after the Thursday night game is played. That's how this works in the main event. So we'll see Jared Goff play on Thursday night, get to make a decision about whether we want to start him knowing his score. Ideally, it's 25 points, and we're like, okay, we'll just play him. And then we get a free look at Sam Howell and Desmond Ritter and can start to manage our quarterback position going forward. If Goff has a horrible game, then we don't have to play him, and we can make our decision about Howell and Ritter for week one. Again, that's assuming that you would like to add Ritter. But he does seem like a really fun addition now to this build. Brock Purdy goes as one more QB who's gone since then. Is there another position that you think is uh, something we should hit on before we close up this build? Well, I think we've got some options, which is a nice place to be in case some of our guys get hit down the stretch here. I still feel like Trey McBride is a breakout play even though their quarterback performance is going to be <laughs> really poor. Uh, and then it, you, you kind of have to read the tea leaves a little bit, but one of the things that was kind of fun, Ben, was that I did release the zero RB candidates countdown, the number 15 guy and the one guy I mentioned, maybe he's a little bit more watch listy than actual you know, a draft pick is Sean Tucker, but here are the reasons why you really want to watch him. And then like the next day, there were reports that he's splitting first team reps with Rashad White. Rashad White's ADP is maybe the one that makes the least sense to me of any player in all of fantasy. So I think there are three guys there that I like. I think that the quarterback play, when we're trying to figure out how do we get the points to win the $1 million, 
I think that makes sense, but I think stashing those other two positions is pretty interesting as well. Yeah, I mean, you made really good cases for both. Tucker goes. Wow. So he goes at 1809, takes that part of it off. I was very intrigued and in, in, would have been interested in a potential RB6. We probably didn't need another scratch off running back, but it would, I mean, it's always fun to, to load up our roster with as many of the zero RB countdown guys as we can. Would have been into that, but Tucker is off the board. The Trey McBride case is a good one as well. Gives us basically the same idea as the Howell Ritter thing where we have the two ways to play the second spot at that position. I guess I think with Pitts, we've already made more of a a stronger bet at tight end. And so with Goff and Howell, like you said, the upside play down the stretch is more toward getting quarterback right. It's not four QBs like you suggested, but it would be three. I, I guess I still kind of lean... Ritter Tucker was the one that I was going to say I was in with you on McBride to me, very, very intriguing. But for this build, probably I would be Ritter. What do you think? Yeah, let's go that route. Do you think we, I mean, we probably want to go ahead and take him right here. I was going to say that the Kansas city defense, it might, it might be kind of fun to play our defense against our quarterback. Get again, that yeah. optionality, but no, I would say go for that. Let's lock in Ritter. Let's lock in Ritter. Right. Okay. I mean, Kansas City defense might come back. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. So we did take Kansas City's defense, uh, getting a free look at them on Thursday Night Football. We're talking through the Detroit kicker situation. Riley Patterson got all their kicks in preseason week three. I had kind of thought he would be the main guy for them, a little bit even younger than the other kicker on the roster. And again, they play on Thursday Night Football, another opportunity to potentially get a a free look in this format. However, he missed an extra point and a field goal in uh, the, the third preseason game. So at least a little bit of consternation there. And he actually goes two picks ahead of us. And so we are on deck. And the guy we were talking about a little bit, as we skipped ahead here in this draft um, was Jake Elliott, who is the Eagles kicker. And I don't know why he goes so late. Maybe because they go for, go for it on fourth down a lot, stuff like that. But obviously the Eagles are a really good offense. He's got a, a week 10 buy, a late buy. Seems like a relatively easy play for the second to last 
pick of the draft and as one of the last teams to take a kicker to get the team that's, I think, what, favored to win the NFC at this point, get their kicker. Like, yeah, I mean, usually you want the kicker on the team that scores points. Yeah, so that's a pretty straightforward possibility. Another one might be if we're looking to go with a team that's going to score a lot and might you know, might not go for it quite as often, might not have, since they don't have that rushing QB, would be Brandon McManus there with the Jaguars has the big leg. Sure. I, I genuinely, preference? no, I genuinely couldn't. I, I think he's a good option. Cameron Dicker there too for the Chargers. I mean, another good offense that doesn't have a mobile QB. I think, uh, but they might go for it on fourth more. I think McManus, I, I, I buy that. I'm in. So we'll make that click i just made it sound super obvious that we should that it was crazy that jake elliott was still there and then we (laughs) went with someone else jake elliott goes right behind us steal the draft 20.12 to finish up the draft for those of you watching on the road of his youtube channel you can see the whole board here now i'll go through our picks from the 102 jamar chase and devonta smith we start receiver receiver from that point on Went away from the receiver position for a little bit. Javon, uh, Jonathan Taylor, Travis Etienne, Kyle Pitts, and J.K. Dobbins. And then back to receiver. Jahan Dotson, Quentin Johnston, Elijah Moore, Rasheed Rice, Marvin Mims, and Jamison Williams. Gets us to eight at the position through 12 rounds, despite only taking two through six rounds. And then from there on, we close up our build with Kendra Miller, Jared Goff, Chuba Hubbard, Sam Howell, Michael Mayer, Desmond Ritter, the Chiefs defense, and Brandon McMattis. Three QB build with Goff, Howell, and Ritter. Two tight end build with Pitts and Mayer. Just the five running backs with the big three early in Jonathan Taylor, Etienne, and Dobbins. And then Miller and Hubbard as kind of some depth scratch-off types. And then eight receivers, Sean. A lot of depth there. We talked through it a little bit as we were doing it. Talked through it more at the end of part one of this two-part draft special but really wanted to build in some upside profiles after we hit some big names at running back, hit Kyle Pitts. How do you like the way the team came together? Are there any things that immediately stand out that you would have done differently? What are your initial takeaways as we wrap this up? I love how the 2023 draft environment forces you to kind of think outside the box, but also gives you these wonderful opportunities that i don't feel like we've ever really had the ability to take jonathan taylor travis Etienne, and jk dobbins all on one team and to be able to start wide receiver wide receiver before we do it and also get kyle pitts that is just kind of crazy to me you come back with Jahan dotson in round seven who is one of my top priority picks you mentioned a lot of great things about his profile in the first episode when we were drafting him he's also someone who's sort of the poster child for an article that blair wrote about how to beat ADP so not how to predict ADP but to beat it obviously what we're looking to do is beat ADP so if you don't think that Dotson's ADP is already enthusiastic which some people might some people might make that their argument that he's actually overvalued but if you like where he's going I mean he's got a great shot to beat that that three wide receiver group and the three running back group if those guys get through healthy to week one, and clearly there are still like these tiny questions about Jonathan Taylor and JK Dobbins. You probably don't get those guys if they haven't been executing various levels of hold in slash hold out through training camp, you know, so that does raise some very tiny red flags there, but to have that team through seven rounds, I think is pretty crazy. Then we take these five receivers from rounds eight to 12, which we've talked so much about, the wide receiver window this year and it definitely exists and it definitely closes at a certain point and i think that you might be able to make the argument that it closes with Traylon burks at wide receiver 49 he was somebody we were hoping would come back to us in round 10 even though adp didn't really suggest that he would he does get auto picked there the next couple of names who come off are nico collins and odell beckham it's certainly possible that that will work out but i definitely have those guys if not just one tier down, then multiple tier down, tiers down from the players who have been going ahead of that. We were also hoping that Bateman might make it back. But this is the thing about drafting in this 9, 10, 11, 12 range. And I think that a lot of drafters are going to say, yeah, I mean, you guys talk about how 
the window closes, but then you still take people and then you still claim those people are good. And <laughs> that's either hypocritical or just maybe doesn't make the most sense. But we're looking for some specific profiles. And the interesting thing there is that in that 10, 11, 12 range where we take Rice, Mims, and Williams, basically no receivers come off at all, right? Rice is the wide receiver 53 at the 10, 11. And Williams is the wide receiver 58 at the 12, 11. So you can get a sense of how every other drafter essentially is hammering other positions in that range when we still like those guys. But for me, from wide receiver 58, where we took Jamison Williams to the end, there are 85 receivers. So you get like 27 more guys. I only think like three of those names are even remotely draftable, right? So we avoided this entire 27 wide receiver group that I just don't think that you want. I mean, I think you can make a case for stashing Jalen Hyatt. I think you can make a case for adding Curtis Samuel, especially if you you know are going to play through the Washington a little bit. I think that you can make a case, and again, this may seem ridiculous, but I think you can make a case for stashing Justin Ross. The rest of the players in this group are more or less just equivalent with the guys you're going to be able to churn on waivers. So why would you not just do that? So from that perspective, I, I really like our build because in that range where these wide receivers who probably don't have any main event start sit utility we get the three qbs we get a couple of the names on the zero rb watch list we get that michael mayer who i mean ben one of the things i wanted to ask you is what is the deal with the raiders adps it's almost like we hear the talk a lot about Arizona being this kind of forgotten team and nobody really covers them. There's not a lot of great intel that comes out of there. But the flip side of that, which you have mentioned multiple times, is they are projected to win like fewer games than any team ever, which does limit the necessity for really covering them that closely. The Raiders are going to be a decent team. And yet there is no buzz surrounding their offense. And so there's no, I mean, there's limited coverage of their guys. For me, Jacoby Myers and Michael Mayer are wildly undervalued. And so I'm getting a decent amount of them. That's a little bit. I, I love hearing you being all in on Jacoby Myers this year. I mean, listeners from last year will, will remember the great Jacoby Myers wars of 2022. But it's fun to have you kind of pushing me towards him. He would have been a fun addition to this team. I saw him in the queue. I did think where we were at in our build the Rice and Mims plays are just so fun, you know. But are you at all concerned about Rice? He had the eight catches in, in preseason week two, obviously 96 catches last year at SMU. But he, Mahomes didn't play in preseason week three, but the, the starters kind of seemed to. Sky Moore ran a lot of routes with the first team. Uh, Justin Watson did. I didn't see Rice out there. I don't think he ran any routes with the first team. I mean, it's, I guess I, I'm kind of concerned that he's still going to get sort of buried in the way that Sky Moore did last year. I I, I, I go back and forth with him, right? I'm very excited about him, but I'm also, <clears throat> I, I mean, I think I think you can make a strong case, and I've moved him ahead of Tony in my rankings, that the excitement for Kadarius Tony that still lingers, that Rice is the better way to play that, that we think that Tony could be a really talented player if he could ever stay on the field. But we don't actually really know that. We have a very small sample on Tony's stuff that, yeah, his target spot run really good his rookie year, some of that stuff. It wasn't quite as good last year. Smaller sample. Shows great yak ability, et cetera. But we, he also just, like, can't stay on the field. We don't necessarily know how good he really is. And then there's, a, I think, a lot of outcomes for Tony where even if he gets right, they just use him as a rotational player because they're, they're like, at this point, we don't we can't trust you to be an every-snap player, which will be a real problem for his fantasy potential. Rice is I think a better way to play this idea of like an upside Kansas city receiver and similar to this guy more play, but like somebody could be a star in this passing game. It's Patrick Mahomes. Right. And, and I think rice makes more sense than Tony at this point to be making that bet straight up at the same time. The concern that I'm running into is just, I, I remember a stat from earlier in the off season, Andy Reed rookie receivers traditionally don't play a ton or, or do particularly well. They have so many guys is Rice also a guy where they're, they're going to do rotational packages? Like he just can't get to the to the routes numbers. It seems crazy that like no receiver for the Chiefs would wind up having good numbers this year. But I mean, is that a possibility? Yeah, I mean, there's no question. You could have MVS and Sky Moore lead the team and just still be completely unplayable. 
And right. then Kadarius Tony play occasionally be more or less unplayable. You have Rasheed Rice as the most dynamic receiver on the team, but inconsistent routes and then inconsistent targets, you get some drops, more or less unplayable. And everything revolves around Travis Kelsey again. In some ways, I think that's the most likely outcome, either. Right. Which raises you didn't the even mention of, Justin Watson, who probably is going to, you know, factor in and just muddy things and, and probably play some. I mean, it could be Richie James, you know. Right. They've got names there. One of the things that they've done kind of over these last couple of years, they've done the really weird thing with the running backs where they, if anything, seem to get worse and worse at running back every year. I think that they have continued to build up this wide receiver group to where it's actually very interesting and yet still very problematic for fantasy. The thing that I like about what happened in the preseason is that Rice was able to get open more or less at will. He was able to draw targets more or less at will. And... I'm going to say something that probably sounds ridiculous, but I do think that there is at least some minor value to the fantasy manager, the Quentin Johnston and Rice drop some passes. Cause if they don't, we're not able to get them onto this team. And it, you know, maybe it's a Darius Harrywood Bay kind of situation where just neither guy can catch the ball even well enough to ever become a big part of the team. And yet, I mean, one of the things that came out this last week is supposedly, you know, your guy, Joshua Palmer. I didn't hear you arguing for him in round 20, but Joshua Palmer taking Trey Palmer. Well, your guy is Trey Palmer. I want you to make a case for Joshua Palmer, who supposedly was the third guy in some Chargers sets in practice. Supposedly, Quentin Johnston is playing uh, behind Palmer. When is Joshua Palmer going by, guys? Are you, is that facetious? Because I, I don't particularly like Joshua Palmer. Yeah, it doesn't really matter. I mean, Joshua Palmer could go for 300 yards and five touchdowns, and then it'd be like, that's just manufactured volume. Yeah. <laughs> Correct. No, Correct. so we, the big thing in preseason week three is that Rasheed Rice drops what would have been an easy long touchdown. It's like, thank goodness. Because, I mean, maybe where we drafted him here, he still would have been available. But there are going to be a lot of drafts that we do and that listeners do in between now and the start of season where if he makes that catch, he's not going to go where you can add him onto your team and have it really make sense, right? So I think you want to take advantage of that. I mean, for me, Rice is basically discount Quentin Johnston, but he might not even be the discount version. Because number one, you get Patrick Mahomes. We know that there's a huge difference in profile between someone who was dynamic as a three-year player in a major conference versus someone who was dynamic as a four-year player in a small conference. But when you look at the guys stylistically and what they bring to the table, you've got guys who can jump out of the gym, have enough length that even without that they're open, but also are guys who are elite running with the ball. When you have players who are vertical receivers and also manufacture touches, touch guys, you have so many ways to win, right? And, Rasheed Rice, every time they got in the ball this preseason, he would then explode. It, it does matter a little bit how he's looking in practice. And if he's consistently dropping the ball in practice as well, you know, the Chiefs are this extremely high success rate team in their passing game. They're not going to live with someone making a bunch of mistakes in real games. But I just think you're getting a discount here because of some high profile things that probably aren't going to matter. Whereas his ability just, and one of the things too, is he's playing some in the slot and people talk about, Oh, the chiefs target the slot a lot. It's one of the reasons why people think that sky Moore will break out. I don't necessarily disagree with that, but I mean, you have a lot of possibility for someone who's much more dynamic than sky Moore to actually end up as the guy. And so I'm still drafting a little bit of sky Moore. I think that his price and with the second year breakout potential is certainly fine. It gives you some upside there, but rice is the way I like to play the chiefs passing game. And one of the parts about that is you say, okay, round 10, round 11. I mean, certainly there are players we really like after he went. And we discussed Anthony Richardson, who went at the 12-12. But if you have a wide receiver bust in round 10, again, he needs to have the requisite upside. But if you have a wide receiver bust in round 10 and you've built the team correctly, you can weather that. And so that's one of the things that we're trying to figure out is where do you get exposure to the upside that would mean something like actually allow you to win. You're trying to win, not just put some guys into those spots. Where can you select them? Where if they hit, it helps you. And where if you miss, you can weather the storm. I think that Ray Rice and Marvin Mims, who we took a couple picks later, 
I think those are two names that fit that category where if you do whiff on it, your team can still win, can still be successful. But if you hit now, you just have so many different things that you can do. And among other things, the other 11 players in your league don't have them. And I think that's also important. You don't want those guys to be on other people's rosters if they make sense for yours when you're on the clock. Right. And, and and you mentioned these other options we were considering, Richardson being one. He comes all the way back to us. We end up deciding to pass on him again. Some of the running backs we discussed, I remember on the clock there, we talked through, or I threw out there sort of as the clock was winding down, some of the rookie running backs, Roshan Johnson, Kendra Miller, Tajay Spears. Kendra Miller ends up coming back, and we do actually add him to our build. It felt like an area of the draft where we weren't really sacrificing much into our build at other spots. Sam Laporta had already gone. That's a guy that we floated as a potential tight end two. And so we're sitting there going, okay, there's not really a play we want to make a tight end two. There's not really a quarterback play we want to make here. The running backs that we like, we also feel like we can get similar options later. And it was an early running back build that we didn't really feel we needed to play into at this point. And we end up getting the Kendra Miller at a nice cheap, price and and get him as they are before and, and then also hubbard at the next turn after that and it's fine it's not like we were, we look back on that 10 11 turn and go we should have you know gone out of our way to get a, a running back there to, to be our rb4 there's no there's nothing missed there there's nothing i think missed at quarterback if there is something missed at quarterback we miss it the next pick probably when we could have taken anthony richardson decided not to we could have taken Deshaun Watson and Tua Tagovailoa at that turn at 10-11. I mean, we could have we could have went to a, another tier of quarterback potentially, but we just didn't really feel like we needed to in this build. I, I like the play in, within the context of this roster as well, the ways that we had already played the three early running backs. We needed to get some upside receivers. As you just laid out, those profiles weren't going to be available later. The fact that Jameson Williams came all the way back became a, a little bit of a priority over Richardson. We do take him as well. But then after Richardson at 12-11, no more receivers the rest of the way for us. I mean, pretty much this 10-11 turn where we took Rice and Mims was it and and probably would have been it if, if Williams would have gone. But as you noted, only three receivers go after we take Mims at 11-02 all the way down and all the way back in 20 picks. And then, okay, well, three, three go and Williams is still there. Then we'll take Jameson Williams as well. But – more or less, we were saying this is it for us with receivers and taking them here the way that this draft has fallen while feeling like a little bit of a reach isn't really sacrificing a ton. Now, that's not to say that none of the players that went after us or between our 11th and 12th round picks will be good. I'm sure some of those running backs are going to wind up looking like great picks in the end, whether it's Ty G. Spears or Roshan Johnson or what have you. Um, Damian Harris ends up going 11-11, coming back up. I've seen him fall really, really far. He's a guy I've liked a little bit this offseason. Got a little more run in the preseason week three game. I think he could be an intriguing pick. Maybe not at that price, but um, certainly in this range. Tyler Algier is there in the, in the 12th. There's got there's tight ends that, you know, Luke Musgrave. He could he could be a complete smash as a rookie. So there's plenty of guys that looking back at it, yeah, we might go, oh, we took Rice and Mims, the 10-11 turn, and look at these, you know, league winners that we missed. But in terms of the context of the decisions we're making today, while we build our roster and what we needed to accomplish and how we have these players tiered, you know, the Kendra Miller play we end up getting to have later, not much different than the running backs plays we would have been able to make at the 10-11 turn. That might only look different in hindsight. The, the, the quarterbacks that we ended up playing, Jared Goff, Sam Howell, and Desmond Ritter, we talked through why that's a really intriguing build. We like the Howell and Ritter upside plays. Goff gives us a really nice first look at week one on Thursday night where we can make a decision whether to start him until after that game. Yeah, maybe we look back and say this team never had enough quarterback upside, but I'm I'm willing to go to bat with that type of a quarterback build as well this year. It's something we've talked about a lot, Sean, since the early part of the offseason that this could be a year where late-round quarterback is very viable again. So you sit and you look through all the things and the decisions we had to make and what we were trying to accomplish at this point, when we got on the clock for Rice, we still only had five receivers through nine rounds. And, you know, one of those was an Elijah Moore pick that we took in part because we hoped Burks or Bateman might make it back. They both go, you know, a full round after Elijah Moore, but before it got all the way back to us. And so, yeah, Jamar Chase, Devonta Smith, Jahan Dotson, Quentin Johnston, and Elijah Moore isn't a real strong receiver room for us. We accomplished something with those with that, those picks at the 10-11 turn, even if Rice and Mims don't pan out. And, and I know people 
who've listened to us in the past, you know, are thinking about the the KJ Hamler shares in the past and some of the ways that we've tried to play some upside late round receivers that haven't panned out for us, right, Sean? But there's a there's a goal here in the build, and that is the I mean, I think the real important thing. You don't even necessarily have to agree with us on the Rice and Mims player evaluations. It's what are we trying to accomplish? What did we have to sacrifice? What was the opportunity cost with those players at that spot in the build? And it all comes together pretty nicely in a way that this team, while maybe not being as gorgeous on paper, when you take Rice and Mims at the 10-11, it doesn't feel like a complete home run. We got all the greatest value in the draft. It has a real shot to get better throughout the year and be a contender late because of the ways that we stack those bets together and accomplish the things we wanted to accomplish in our build. And you think about when you're going to need the production ideally. I mean, unless the team completely falls apart and, you know, we had some rosters last year that had some early season injuries that made things tough, but you look a little bit deeper, you're dealing with bye weeks and that type of thing. And then you're thinking, well, Rasheed Rice at that point in the year, hopefully more valuable, I guess, I mean, this may seem silly, but when you think about the evaluation that we had on Marvin Mims, you think about the evaluation that the Broncos have on Marvin Mims, you think about the situation with Tim Patrick and Jerry Judy, we're now into a universe where Marvin Mims being the wide receiver one for the Denver Broncos over the second half of the season is not silly at all. It's very, very possible that he could do that. Jamison Williams, obviously not going to be the wide receiver one for the Lions unless something really unfortunate has, happens to Amon Ra, but this could be an offense where the wide receiver two scores a lot. You look back at the QBs, if Jerry Goff is going to be somebody who you're playing during the race, then Jamison Williams has in all likelihood played well, and so those bets make sense together. You think about Jahan Dotson. If he is a guy who makes an impact for us at 702, then in all likely Sam Howell would have played at least to a startable level those bets make sense together and once we had kyle pitts then i think we're almost we not locked into desmond ritter but you're you're definitely thinking i'm going to make that something i consider strongly at the end if kyle pitts hits it's going to be in large part because desmond ritter is hitting and so that one feels the most correlated of all of them right i mean if kyle pitts is the tight end one this year and we really get the upside scenario the year after you know, we were talking about that, that I'm, we're going to go into the shootout thrilled to play the, the Ritter pit stack together. Yeah. And so I just, I like when you have the three different options and you're not overly reliant on one with the QBs here. So yeah, I love it. This is kind of what I was hoping to do. You love getting that value. We haven't really talked too much about it, but that value on JK Dobbins at the end of round six, you get, Travis Etienne falling almost a full round. Now, maybe Etienne after Bigsby, you know, stacking a third straight good preseason game. Maybe this is where Etienne will go over these next nine, 10 days. But Sean, Bigsby fumbled at the goal line and then Etienne scored at the goal line. So I don't know why you keep saying that Bigsby had a good preseason game. I read that as, uh oh, all the guys that have been saying that Bigsby's definitely taking the goal line work are, are going to be a little bit concerned about what, what happened there. The Jaguars are a little bit like us, where I think they are enthusiasts. And so, I mean, they think that they have like two of the five best running backs in the NFL. That's my only concern. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. I mean, Jonathan Taylor, somebody who is a one-two turn pick if he gets that trade. Yeah. I, I Ben, I think for me, the final note is just that we talk about drafting the player targets that you have, we talk about drafting a team that you're excited to watch on Sundays, or we talk about when you're on the clock, make the picks that you believe in and that appeal to you emotionally. I mean, this is within the context of, you know, you spent a long time getting ready. And so it's not like you're just randomly picking names, but you're going to have a fun draft and fun drafts tend to lead to very good outcomes i had a blast with you drafting this team i mean this was my dream outcome my dream sequence of players falling through would have loved to have gotten jsn or Traylon burks that's the only way this could have felt better i loved it i loved it yeah i mean that's a fair point we did like the the, the 
the the one sort of bummer, JSN falling all the way to 809 and we're there at 811. Bateman falling all the way to 1009. We're there at 1011. It, it always is. I mean, I, I'm with you. You, you close on such a, a positive, optimistic note. I'm the same way. I think this is a really fun team. I'm very excited for it. It always is in, interesting, especially when you're picking on an end and you see some of the things that happened in your particular draft and you're like, this is the way I would have played it from the internal draft slots. We talked at the beginning of the first episode uh, about Cooper Cup falling all the way to 108 in this draft, and I would have been thrilled to get him there personally. You know, picking from the middle somewhere where you could have got a Cup start, could have got, um, you know, probably like a Cup Waddle start, and could have got some of these other values to fall through that, you know, we still would have been happy with J.K. Dobbins in the middle of round six or Travis Etienne in the middle of round four probably. And then you're talking about getting JSN in the eighth and getting Bateman in the tenth. Being in those ranges might have been an intriguing way that this builds, but at the same time, then you don't have Jamar Chase on your team, you know. So there's some other things that that, that occurred, obviously, in our draft that maybe wouldn't, you know, we, we wouldn't have Jonathan Taylor at the 306 potentially. Um, so always funny for me, I guess, to to look back and be like, ooh, you know, there's some great values in this, and we didn't necessarily get them all. But also the ones that you do get, you, you know, you got to be grateful for, like you mentioned, Etn and Dobbins at 411 and 611. Two that we're really excited about. I don't. I mean, this is a fun team. This is a team that, uh, you know, the receivers will be interesting. The Elijah Moore, Rasheed Rice, Marvin Mims, Jamison Williams group. There's some scenarios where none of those guys do anything for us. But as you talk through, there's scenarios where there's some real, real upside there. And I mean, the floor really is open for for Rice and Mims in a way that I think is is probably being missed a little bit right now excited certainly for what this receiving core could mean we have the running backs at the top kyle pitts i mean come on don't let us down and then you know the the quarterbacks that go with it it's a it's a team that you know you need certain macro things to break in certain ways but if if later on quarterbacks viable this year if kyle pitts is more of a micro one but if kyle pitts is a legit top three tight end like this team's gonna be right there yeah and we talked about having fun. I think that Jamar Chase is my 104 in my official FFPC rankings, but the most fun way to play the 102 is to take Jamar Chase. You mentioned the Cooper Cup team. They get Nick Chubb coming all the way back in round two, which is also a decent ADP faller. They have got to be ecstatic about getting two big values in the first two rounds. That type of thing is very difficult. <laughs> you don't tend to have fallers that early. They also get James Cook and Brynn Ayuk. So that team will be one to watch. We talked about the Captain Jack team all the way through. They were selecting good values all the way to the end. There are teams in this league other than ours that we think could win the whole enchilada. But Ben, I'm fired up. This was a blast. We'll hopefully have some more teams for people as we go through. Obviously, we're getting down toward the end of draft season, but best time of the fantasy year. That'll do it for part two of our special FFPC main event, Stealing Bananas draft. I'm Sean Siegel. With me, as always, is Ben Gretsch. You can follow at Yards Per Gretsch. Sign up for Stealing Signals. The content over the last three weeks Ben has been not just good, but frankly, it's been extraordinary. Make sure you get over there. Also sign up for his betting project with Dalton Cates stealing lines. We'd love to have you guys over at Rotoviz, the coupon code RV Radio 2023 at checkout for a 10% discount on your one-year subscription to the site. Thank you guys so much for all of the amazing reviews you've left recently. Anybody who hasn't and wants to, that does help us with the algorithm. Good luck at all of your drafts. We hope that we're matching up with stealing bananas listeners in that top 10 in week 17 as we fight for one million dollars we'll talk to you guys soon when you make decisions for your company you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Mail checks, invoices, documents, and everything you need to keep your business running. Get rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS. And with the mobile app, you can take care of mailing on the go. 
Make the same no-brainer decisions as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.